0: Hi, um, welcome to um, our first webcast. Um, and Danny and I, over the next four sessions, are going to be looking at leadership and remote working. Um, the, the webcast that we're running are basically to try and bridge the gap between academic research Um, and management practice. Um, There's a lot of myths that have emerged around leadership practice. So what we wanted to do is there's an enormous amount of really good high quality academic research that leaders could be using in their day-to-day practice. And the HR people could be advising their managers to implement on a day-to-day basis as well. So what we wanna do is design these highly practical sessions. So we've done the hard work of sifting through the academic research. And in each one of these sessions, we're gonna be identifying the top five actions that leaders can take to address specific issue that we're looking at so in this particular session we're going to be looking at um, what leaders can specifically do to support their people at this really important time Um, in the second session what we've been looking at is teams and what leaders can do to actually optimize their performance um, in the third session, we'll be looking at decision making, uh, which is a huge body of research behind it. So, it's like how can leaders actually use this decision making research to make sure that the quality and acceptance of the decisions that they're making are much higher? And then the fourth and final session is the really pertinent topic of well being. So, how can leaders leverage the extensive ex- research that's been done? to support the wellbeing of their people and in the process actually enhance performance as well. So Danny and I are really, really looking forward to working with you over the next few sessions. Um, Just a little background to me. So uh, as I said, my name's Garen. Um, I'm an organisation development consultant. Um, I've been running my own practice for 10 years um, and I've been an OD consultant for a total of 15 years altogether. Um, Danny, do you want to just introduce yourself? Yeah, so until earlier this year, I was the director of
1: people and business services at Investors in People. Um, I've now set up my own consultancy business to help organisations take a more strategic approach to all things people, make their organisations more effective and, and human.
0: So, so of all the subjects we could have looked at with the academic research, why did we look at remote working? Well, well, a it's kind of here to stay. Um, the second thing is um, is remote working. Academic research shows negatively impacts team effectiveness. Um, There's a number of big meta studies that have been done that have found that remote working affects things like team dynamics, uh, the frequency of communication, uh, can be the cause of interpersonal conflict, uh, reduces the amount of trust and social interaction on teams as well. So it really does show that uh, remote work uh, needs a lot of work from leaders to actually help them become more effective as well. But what's really interesting is the research on an individual basis is actually painting quite a different picture. Dani, do you want to just share some of the insights that you've been finding?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's been several bits of research done over the last few months, um, and all of them agree that people feel more productive at home. So I think it's, I think the stats about 80% or more of people feel they're at least as effective working from home as they were in the office before COVID. Um, There are a few exceptions, kind of women with childcare responsibilities and low earners and people not in roles that are conducive to to working from home. But the research also shows that people are just happier working from home. And that's pretty much all people um, across all age groups. Um, Older people tend to be happier um, and self-employed are kind of, there's not much difference in their happiness levels, but then a lot of those were working from home. One of the big factors is how p- connected people feel to their to organisations and colleagues. So the kind of reasons for this positive sentiment around working from home are um, the lack of commute and a better work life balance. And interestingly, people aren't using that time purely for leisure. They're using it for leisure. They're using it for learning, and they're also to, uh, using it to do more work. They like the flexibility. The obvious ones around childcare and you know caring, but also meeting business needs so people are kind of starting work early in the day to work in one time zone taking a break over the middle of the day to do their own thing and then coming back online in the evening to work um, with a different time zone Um, people think their stress levels are lower and for some people there's a belief that they're on a more even playing field um, in terms of opportunities promotion and jobs uh, that geography has become less of a less of a factor um, the other interesting thing the research has shown is there's this two-way causal relationship between productivity and mental health when working from home. And we'll talk about well-being in session number four, but basically it shows that a decline in mental health can affect productivity, um, but a decline in productivity can also affect mental health. So it's a real Vested interest in making sure everybody can work productively um, and effectively, not only for their organisations but for their own well-being.
0: And, and I guess, obviously, as more people become vaccinated and more people return to work, there'll still be that real kind of hybrid model, won't there? Danny, between mm. those that are actually working purely remotely, some that are working kind of like a hybrid, and some of those are completely working the office as well. So it's going to require a more sophisticated, I can never say a sophisticated approach to leadership, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the research. I think most people want to come back to the office office. two days out of five there's very few people that want want to be back in the office five days out of five so as managers and leaders we're going to have to get used to to that more complex way of working
0: and so i guess we're looking at so we wanted to identify you know what are the top 10 challenges that the the researchers is actually identifying so um, i guess i'm going to take you through the first five that i've seen so um there's, within teams one of the challenges that leads will be finding is just reduced connection and engagement for employees so you know that's going to lead to a reduced sense of commitment um to each other and the organization as well so you may find that teams are finding it more difficult to collaborate um you know and and you know less likely to cooperate as well as a result of that um also that um it's going to be more difficult to actually establish and build trust in teams as well. Um, there'll be, you know, people joining organizations that have never actually met their colleagues in person. So as a manager, which, you know, one of the key things that they they have to build in their teams is trust and loyalty. That's going to be even harder to actually do. So how do you go about doing that? Um, the fourth one we lo- wanted to look at as well as, as a challenge is, is, you know, the concerns around the fairness and level playing field between office and remote staff. So, um, Research often finds that remote staff feel they're missing out on what's actually happening in the office. Um, office-based staff often feel that they're picking up the slack from what people are, um, from the remote workers. Um, and also the performance evaluation, you know, not not the appra- necessarily the appraisal part, but just evaluating the performance um, of remote workers is much harder. So I mean, they actually find that there's a harsher judgment on the performance of remote workers um, than people that are present. And finally, one of the other key challenges that that leaders are facing is the quality of decision making, and also the pace of decision making as well. What what are the five that you found, Danny?
1: I've I've found so the first one's around access into uh, access to information so there's just more information that people need and it's more distributed in the virtual world so that could be problematic the next one's kind of a dilution or lack of clarity about culture and behavioral norms so a lot of people are joining organizations having never been in the office and met their colleagues face to face so how do they pick up on what the culture is Um, the third one's that conflicts more likely and much harder to spot so if you're in a face-to-face meeting and, and people are unhappy, you can you can sense that. You, you can tell and you can go and have a chat with somebody afterwards and do something about it. But much harder to spot that um, on a face-to-face call. <laughs> Although I did spot that Microsoft have lodged a patent to, put, um, to record and score meetings in terms of body language. So quite what well, that's going to look like, <laughs> I don't know. But maybe we'll have a, a computer telling us who's happy and who's not. I don't know. It's a scary <laughs> thought. Yeah. Um, the, th- the fourth one's around matching the capacity and capability of the organization in terms of well-being and matching that to the needs and expectations of employees. And then lastly, it's that less it's that kind of a loss of a sense of control over what your, what your team are doing remotely. If they're next to you, there's almost that illusion that you you can, you know, what's going on virtually, that's, that's harder.
0: Brilliant. And, and I guess when we were discussing the content and the, all the studies to go into this, there's one thing that you raised was something called, was it hedonic adaptation? Um, yeah. What what was that in particular? It seems like something that's really interesting for managers to keep in mind and also for HR practitioners. Absolutely. On on all sorts of scales. So
1: it's the idea that we adjust to great things over time. We get used to them. So even really exciting things like a lottery win, disappointingly over time, we walk kind of assimilate and get used to the idea of having millions of pounds sat in the bank and it becomes less exciting and less ordinary so it's a case of with remote working yes at the moment lots of people are happy are feeling happier at home but over time they're going to forget the horrible commute and the expensive season ticket and you know all of that stuff and over time they'll forget that and they'll just get used to working from home that will become the new new norm so organisations and leaders are going to have to up the game in terms of keeping their, their staff
0: engaged and happy. Before we start to share the top five with you, which is, you know, the specific areas to be thinking about as a, as a manager, it's important to sort of share our methodology as well. So as I said, Danny and I have pretty done a, a fairly exhaustive search and reading of, of different studies. And this is everything from, you know, literature reviews to rapid evidence assessments to trying to choose um, sort of the highest graded Um, uh, papers in terms of quantitative and qualitative research as well Um, and as a result things that we thought might make the cut in the top five didn't make the cut so for example there's limited evidence that leadership styles actually affect the effectiveness of virtual teams Um, and there's just not enough evidence yet to support it there's there's some kind of sort of research that's starting to find that you know Transactional leadership impacts virtual teams in a certain way, and transformational leadership affects lead, um, teams in a certain way. And that there's something around humble leaders are maybe a more suited leadership style for this particular period. So the, the five that we've made are things to really just bear in mind if you don't do anything else is to think about these particular top five areas as well. So Danny, do you wanna just kick off our top five?
1: Yeah, so first on our top five was setting expectations. So looking at the research, we found that a shared understanding of virtual teams can have a really significant impact on the ability of that virtual team to work effectively. I mean, it's the case for all teams, but it's, it's even more important for a, for a virtual team. Um, it helps if people have a shared understanding of the team's goals and, and everything else. It helps them anticipate and predict the behaviours of their team members. It helps them understand what's going on, and they can work more autonomously. Uh, they don't have to keep constantly checking in with each other to, you know, what's next, where are we going? Um, and that shared understanding is about a variety of things. So it's not just about the goals the team's trying to achieve or the tasks it needs to needs to deliver on. It's about the work and team processes, how people are going to work together, um, and about the members themselves and the roles they're carrying out so who does what so so as a leader you need to you need to frame the context for your team like a e orientation so remind the team of the purpose share profiles and information about team members so they can get to know each other be clear on what their expected behaviors clarify roles and responsibilities clarify the task and outcomes and time scales um, and also you know there's also value in asking your team to share their feedback and expectations on how they're all going to work together and how, how you're going to collaborate
0: yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? As a, as a consultant, how many times you sort of ask managers and, you know, or ask different members of teams and they don't actually know what other members of the team actually do or someone's role was this, but it's actually evolved into that, but people just don't understand. And so they don't yeah. understand the interdependencies, do they?
1: Yeah. No, they don't. And I think, you know, particularly when we're in a really fast moving, changing environment, people's roles change all the time. So it's, it's the more you can do to kind of explain that, the better. So. I think the other, the other thing, and we'll, we'll talk more about this in the next session around teams, but that's about creating space and facilitating ways for people to get to know each other. Social cohesion is really key to effective virtual teams and trust. So the more you can do to kind of build social cohesion within your team, then the better. But as I say, we've got ideas on that next time that we'll, we'll share with you. And then lastly, the research also found that availability and responsiveness is really, really important in virtual teams. So no having having a team member be responsible for them. Responsive and available to talk to you is the thing that really helps build trust, particularly early trust in in teams. So, as a leader, it's about formalising communication norms, um, being clear on what tools you're going to use and why you're going to use them, and how quickly should somebody should respond to emails and you know instant messaging, so there's not miscommun- misunderstandings about
0: about how those tools are being used. Well, I just picking up a couple of points mm-hmm. there as well. So, trust is absolutely essential to the performance of teams, isn't it? And I yes. guess some of the things that we're both picking up in meetings with organisations is. We're starting to hear lots of employees sort of saying, describing other employees, saying, Well, I just don't really know what they do all day. <laughs> um, and that sort of absence of trust has a huge impact doesn't it sometimes you get a manager who says they don't know what the team does all day which is a (laughs) which is is thing. that i have seen that today actually (laughs) so um i guess the other thing as well is those norms and expectations isn't it Mm. um you know we talked about that kind of deep work didn't we which Mm. is the ability to actually really focus on work people just need that time don't they because that's something you've been thinking about
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think as a leader, you have to you have to make it okay for people to block out a couple of hours in their diary to really concentrate on something that that needs thought that you can't do in the five minutes in between one Zoom call and another. And I think unless you set that expectation with your your team, people aren't going to do that. They're they're not going to know it's okay to to block their diaries out and ignore Slack messages for a couple of hours to let them go on with the important work.
0: And I think I think also there's there's quite a lot of psychological safety that's missing at the moment. People mm-hmm. are seeing colleagues or, you know, people that work for a long time being made redundant. Yeah. They're feeling, you know, so therefore they need to be seen to be working and being almost overly responsive as well. And that's getting in the way of actually doing the deep work, which is actually getting the work done at a, at a high level, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, in the wellbeing session, we can talk about presenteeism and the the kind of pressures that places on people as well, that constantly be on, being on and available so
0: number two that's a really strong start so number two is is it's all about the quality of communication from leaders so the the research really highlights that a differentiator for high performing and engaged teams during covid has been basically the quality um, and perceived transparency of communication from leaders so you know it's probably an indication of our times that studies have found that you know um out of government Um, official news outlets and social media employers are actually the most trusted source of information so there's that's an incredible gift to employers and it's really important to maintain that as well but it's easily lost isn't it
1: that's a big responsibility as well for an employer to be the most trusted source of information
0: particularly in the the era we're in now yeah so so how do you actually do quality of communication and it's it's really you know it's very easy to say give quality communication. It's another thing to do quality communication. And, you know, the the, sort of the elements of it is, you know, is transparency, which we'll just talk about in in a little bit more detail in a second. But it's the ability to actually read the people that you're communicating to. So it's actually finding moments of human connection. So, Mm -hmm. you know, not overly relying on written communication. So it's highly likely, you know, if you've got a team of six, for example, that you will have a blend of people maybe with a, a preference for introversion and a preference for extroversion. So people with a preference for introversion will often prefer to receive information in writing, which is great, but it's really important that we don't overly rely on written communication, that we're getting really good messaging out there consistently. In per, well, not in person, but, you know, actually engaging with people in voice, uh, either over video or over phone um, as well. And it's really important to sort of understand the emotional temperature in the team as well. And their teams have been flat out. You know, they've done five years of transformation in five months. And this is still ongoing. All this uncertainty. Teams are tired Um, You know, it's really important that you, you know, meet teams where they are with your communication, acknowledge how hard they've worked, the pressures they're under. Trust does go up when people hear your voice. Um, Mm -hmm. The jury with the research is out on video, isn't it, uh, Danny? Yeah. Um, If if a person looks uncomfortable um, when communicating on camera, then trust can go down. So practice makes perfect. uh, But it's still okay to pick the phone up. Um, And it's really important to show and make time to show compassion and care. Now, as we said, um, not everyone finds communicating very easily. Um, and there's a, an incredible statistic about the number of reluctant managers in this country. Um, so it may be that the technicians that have been promoted into the role of manager that may be unprepared. What, what is that statistic around how many reluctant managers there are?
1: Four out of five accidental managers um in the country which is quite staggering really so that's managers who've not had any training on on how to manage or how to lead or any expectations set by their organization about what what's expected of them as a manager
0: wow that and that's that can sometimes be a scary place to be with such a big responsibility so you know your, your organisation may have training programmes. There's a whole wealth of information. You know, some good books are things like Soft Skills for Hard People. Uh, Clear Leadership by Gervais Bush is always a good reference point. Uh, we'll put some references in the comments on if, the, if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, but feel free in the comments to add some recommendations that you might add as well. Um, the other important thing to remember as well is things like, you know, empathy. So try emotional empathy. So, you know, to mirror and feel what others are actually experiencing right now. And try things like cognitive empathy. So, you know, actually take the other person's perspective when you're communicating. A lot of leadership communication is actually just transmitting and always be asking good questions and listening as well. What's the third point, Danny? The third point is about a default
1: to transparency, so we've said that access to information is just much harder in a virtual environment, you've got more information to be shared, it's more distributed and the risk is people are going to be left out of the loop and that just causes confusion, frustration um, and ultimately poor quality decision-making for your organisation and duplication of effort. So the research strongly points to transparency being a key lever for um, effective virtual teams, so that's about making everything open and available to everyone unless there's a really specific reason why you're not doing that. And that's kind of the flip, um, kind of the reverse, really, the way people are kind of tend to operate. So that's quite a mindset shift for a lot of organisations and leaders. So um, it's down to the leader, really, to role model that. It's about being, being really clear on expectations around information sharing, what needs to be shared, how you're going to share it and when. It's about establishing procedures for that and norms for communication, it's about uh, as a leader, it's about taking ownership for making sure that happens. So recognizing rewarding when it does happen, monitoring and intervening when you see it's gone off track or some, you know, something's not being shared in the way you were hoping, giving people the support and training they need to, to make that shift to a different way of working and facilitating sharing information of day-to-day about day-to-day activities and being really transparent with each other about when things have gone off course. Because there's nothing that's going to erode trust more often if you say you're going to do something by Tuesday and then, you know, Wednesday rolls around and you still haven't done it. Thursday, if you can just tell people earlier, then that, that sorts, sorts things out and builds trust. So the other thing in this arena is, is what's called asynchronous working. So the idea that you start to capture everything um, rather than doing all by face to face or by Zoom, you start using kind of um, platforms to capture information on in kind of written form you're codifying workplace knowledge essentially in creating some sort of knowledge bank of, of what you're working on. So there's certainly some of the remote only companies like Basecamp gets talked to a lot and GitLab and Automatic, the company behind WordPress, they've adopted that approach and I think one of them at least says if it's not written down it doesn't it does it doesn't exist. So that's quite an extreme version of things, but as you move to more um, virtual working, I think it's it's worth looking at that.
0: So I, and I guess the, the research is actually proposing managers, it's quite a sea change, isn't it? Because, you know, if we're talking about being transparent with information, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of information on managers' desks right now that maybe they'd be worried about like, scaring staff or overwhelming them or making them feel insecure. So the academic research is actually flipping that and saying, you know, it's okay to disclose more of that, is that right? Yeah, that's exactly what it's saying. So
1: and I think it's also important to realise that it's this default to transparency not is not just about sharing task information. It's about sharing social information and contextual information about the environment and the culture. And and as a leader it's about thinking and working out loud. So being really explicit about the message you're trying to get across to your your individuals or your team go overboard on explaining the rationale because things are so easily misinterpreted when you're working virtually and there's less informal opportunities to check up. So if you hear something in a meeting and you're not not entirely sure what it was meant, you've got that kind of chance as you leave the meeting to say, you know, you said that, what did you mean? That doesn't happen when you're in a virtual environment. So if you leave people with gaps in their knowledge, they're going to fill them in on their own. Um, we're programmed as humans to kind of make sense of things. So it's better as a leader to explain and give people the information to fill in the gaps rather than leave them to their own devices to come up with horror stories.
0: (laughs) I I, I love that thought of, of, you know, working out loud. Mm. Um, you know I, I, it helps take people on the journey when you're making decisions doesn't it and it does. kind of like what is in your mind or what are your considerations when making key decisions and it increases buy-in doesn't it so that people don't necessarily feel decisions are being done to them absolutely. they're actually going with them aren't they
1: yeah absolutely and even if it's difficult news that you've got to share the more open and transparent you can be then the better people react people don't like uncertainty so give them as much certainty as you can even if it's not great news
0: If anyone wants to take their reading any further, there's some really good stuff by Barry Oshry that looks at Mm -hmm. the importance of actually sharing your information and and carving out responsibility and sharing that with your staff to empower them as well. Absolutely
1: and then just last point on default to transparency it, it picks up the cultural and behavioral norms again you know so they're less the cultural and behavioral norms are less visible in a virtual world so as a leader, you you really have to step up and take responsibility for explaining the culture and the norms making them explicit name it when you see it operating in practice codify it get it written down and tell stories that reinforce that culture so you can keep it alive even if you're not physically altogether.
0: So, so number four and something I'm madly uh, committed to encourage all organizations and all leaders to, to really uh, embrace is leader as network broker. So it's quite a fancy term, but it's very simple. Um, it's just organizations by their very nature, we, we'd like to divide people according to their spe- specialism. So we have um, sales professionals here, uh, finance professionals here, you know, marketing professionals here. We kind of group them and that makes complete sense as well. But what that means is often teams are very good at communicating within themselves. But when it comes to actually um, inter-team communication, that's where things start to fall down. So siloed teams are, are endemic across all or, most organizations. Um, remote working just is just rocket fuel to this. Um, and a lot of the organizations that we're working with, you know, like come sort of September when the, you know, after the massive adrenaline rush of just trying to make and cope and operationalize all the changes, we're like, our teams have really drifted apart. And the academic research really shows that the role of leader actually connecting different departments together can have a huge impact um, on performance. So um, some of the, the, you know, let's get tactical now. Some of the things that that leaders can do to actually optimize their organizations is to reactivate those dormant ties, those relationships that have kind of just gone their separate ways just because we've been so busy today. It's about refreshing them. Um, And it's also about reviewing your relationships. So what are the quality of the relationships? Give them a score out of zero to 10 um, ask them what's the score that you would give our relationship out of 10 right now and then look for specific examples and that can help you focus your energies about which relationships to build on Um, and also it's not necessarily in your exact domain of control it's like actually seeing things fall between the gaps between other teams as well so connecting encouraging and facilitating them to connect with each other so reaching outside your immediate circle Um, And we're always saying that one of the most important skills for contemporary leaders um, in organizations in 2020 is the power of facilitation. Mm -hmm. And that means the ability to actually facilitate meetings and communication between different parts of the organizations. It's, you know, it's creating links with your counterpart managers. And what that means, basically, is if you have a good relationship with your counterpart manager over here, Your team, when they work together, it will make their lives so much easier. There's so many organizations where the teams don't get on. They go up to the manager. The manager then talks to the other manager. And the manager then tells their team and back and forth. And it's so inefficient. You can just basically circumvent all of that by building relationships. And also, it's ensuring that meetings aren't issue related. You know, so many meetings are just like, let's deal with the topics of today. The meetings that are really high value, also the ones we were talking about, you know, what does the next three months and six months? What does your pipeline of work look like? What am I working on that's going to impact you and vice versa? So no surprises. And also we're thinking together because it's that rather than sort of saying, this is what we're doing and this is what we need you to do. We're actually thinking, what can we do to actually share our knowledge to make sure we're coming up with the best solutions? Um, The other tactic I'm always encouraging managers to do, and I know you'll be the same as well, Danny, is inviting yourself into the team meeting of other teams. Absolutely, Elbow your way in if you have to, you know, by actually sitting there, just turning up, you know, showing a face, engaging with them, answering their questions, telling them what you're up to, understanding how their actions impact your team and vice versa and really exploring the issues. That is just a great thing. And also encouraging your team to do the same thing as well. And, and often when we're managing things like technical specialists, you know, that kind of communication piece doesn't always come most naturally. So it's important to actually coach your people to engage um, more effectively and actually to join those initial meetings just to get them going, get the relationship built and then start to step out as well. Yeah. And I think it's surprising how
1: quickly that that pays dividends. They don't have to be long meetings. And, you know, you can see just really brief conversations, how quickly that builds up understanding and, and um, yeah, better team working. So you don't think it great. needs to be a kind of half day workshop that's no. kind of massively planned out. It can be small moments that, that really have an impact.
0: Yeah, short, sharp interactions, mm-hmm. you know, really punchy. Get your place on the agenda, see the agenda tell the manager what you want to talk about and then just do it. You know, don't kill them with PowerPoint, (laughs) whatever you do. Um, The other thing that we want to sort of really encourage is don't let your team talk negatively about other teams. Yes. Them and us is probably one of the most basic human instincts. You know, it comes from the Savannah with, you know, uh, you know, know, Stone Age man seeing other tribes and it's in, again, in organizations if you let your teams talk negatively about other teams what happens is it starts to, to create a space between them and it can be something that teams do very naturally because they're just trying to cope and it's very seductive to be involved in those conversations as well but as soon as you start to do it then you endorse what they're talking about and it makes builds up the barriers between them as well so we're always saying to challenge them your team members to actually step into the shoes of the other team why are they doing what they're doing you know what's motivating what's what are their priorities you know are they the same priorities are they are they conflicting what can you do um and there's a whole range of other things but always intervene when you see breakdowns and communications and misunderstandings as well yeah. great so that takes us on to number five uh, and definitely not last but not least um over to you danny for that
1: yeah so number five is around managing performance so managing a re- remote team is a real shift in management style and it as we've said it calls for a more sophisticated approach you can't see what people are doing so um, in terms of what they're doing, how they're doing, how they're feeling about stuff. You're relying on inference. You're trying to see, you're trying to pick up signs to work out what's going on for somebody and what's really happening. So, I mean, I've managed remote teams for the last 10 years and been part of them for probably 15 or 20. And I think a big part of success, the successful teams is how well you know your individual team members. So you can't possibly help to support people to to be their best if you don't know what's going on for them. You don't know how they work, how they tick. Um, so that's the, that's the first thing. And I think in a virtual environment, particularly when you're new to it, there's this real temptation to increase monitoring um, and see what people are up to. I was reading again, I think this report came up yesterday. It said one in seven report um, workers are reporting their monitoring by their employers increased um, over the pandemic period. Um, but successful teams are all about trusting people to deliver. So um that's basically what you've got to do you've just got to find other ways of of seeing what's going on so do make sure you're having regular check-ins but not micromanaging work out what the cadence is that that works best for you and your team members and the team as a whole Um, and then when you're thinking about how to assess or evaluate performance even if it's not in a kind of formal ratings way consider including elements of how well the people are kind of contributing to the effectiveness of the virtual team and make that part of what you discuss and cover and and involve the team in deciding what factors and and things you should look at as part of how well your team and individuals are performing. But I guess what we do know from the research is that um, any assessment of performance, however formal or informal, it's how people perceive it. They need to feel it's fair Um, as that's super important that we know that virtual, you know, workers can be can be judged more harshly. Um, it's also how workers react to those performance discussions. So, again, you haven't got that informal opportunity after a performance discussion to catch up with somebody later in the day in the corridor. So do make time to pick up and say, you know, we, we had a discussion this morning. How's that landed for you? Is there anything you want to talk about? And then just a bit about bias. So bias in performance processes and performance discussions isn't a new thing. Um, as we know you know there's a tendency for remote workers to be judged more harshly um and that's a fairly natural human tendency i think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier that we're programmed to make sense of situations when there are gaps in the knowledge so if we're not seeing what somebody's doing day in day out we kind of fill in fill in the gaps with our own with our own stories so i think there's a couple of things to be aware of that the research has thrown up for about performance ratings and one study found that ratings of our own performance in a virtual setting, we tend to be a bit more optimistic and positive than, than perhaps reality would, would suggest. Um, and that is probably because we're getting less feedback cues about what's really going on. So, you know, we don't know. We're not, we're not getting the feedback we would do in a virtual uh, physical environment. So we're, we're making it up. So it's really important as a leader we find a way to give people a flow of information about how they're doing from a variety of sources to help them build that balanced picture. Um, and also make t- make time for the team to reflect on on how the team's performing and yeah. focus on how they're going to learn and improve
0: and it, I guess that other thing as well is it about in terms of um, positive reinforcement isn't mm. it it's you know because you are re- working remotely uh, and it's kind of sort of quoting you know this is sort of classic um, Ken Blanchard which is going back years and years now isn't it but it's actually catching your people in the in the act of doing the right thing isn't it yeah. and giving that feedback but you have to go and look for it and because working remotely it just won't present itself with it so it's been really clear on the kind of good performance that you're looking for and then finding specific examples and feeding back to them but also feeding back to the team as well so they can all see that's exactly the kind of behaviors you're trying to encourage. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So so that is our top five. Um, So just a a quick recap of the top five. So number one is setting expectations. Number two is quality of communication. Uh, Number three is defaulting to transparency. Number four is the leader as network broker. And number five is the uh, importance of performance evaluation. So I guess what we wanted to do is, you know, there's that kind of link again between academic insight and management practice. And we're trying to bridge that gap. So we're just going to give you three things to take away. So if you're going to do anything as a result of when you turn this video off and go back to your desk, the three things that you prioritize, we're going to give them, uh, what's the first one, Danny, for people to take away?
1: So the first one is ask your team, are they clear on your expectations of them and have you asked them what they expect and need from you as their leader?
0: hundred percent. And, and, managers don't ask that in normal times do they let alone um so it's so important um the second one is what connections do you need to broker now so look across the organization chart your networks that you work in where do you need to focus your attention if you're going to make sure one relationship works well and you're going to bring your resources to bear to enhance that relationship what connection are you going to work on and then last
1: of all, our number three is, are you having effective and regular one-to-ones and check-ins with your team members? Are you giving them the feedback and the information they need to do great work and improve? And are you taking a wider approach than just focusing on tasks? Are you looking more holistically at the support and well-being um,
0: and development that they need? Brilliant. So, so that's the end of our first session. As I said, we've got three more to go. We really welcome your feedback and comments. Um, and so we're going to be trying to share um, a number of the references that we've covered uh, in order to produce this. Um, we also really welcome your um, ideas about what would go in your top five. Um, and also, if you want to keep track of these as they come out, um, if you're watching it on YouTube, just hit the subscribe button and tap the bell and you'll get a notification when the next one comes out as well. But um, um, really really glad that you stayed into watch with this uh, and we we'll look forward to the next one thanks everyone